Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, venatananu etorato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Adonai, may you bind us to the lapid Mashiach Yeshua. Baruch habab Hashem Adonai, we pray that you send our beloved to us speedily and soon in our days. May you bring us out of exile. May you cause us to know your name and to walk in your way, your truth, and your life. In the merit of Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. Well, probably going to hear a lot of background noise because I am outside recording this week. So, shalom to everyone on the podcast. I thought it would be really awesome since it is currently Parshad Noach and it is raining like crazy. So... Uh, I thought that was very fitting and Hashem is like super legit when it comes to that kind of stuff because even as we were going into Parsha Noach for Havdalah, it began to thunder and lightning and it was just like, wow, this is crazy. Like this is this week's Torah portion. So um, anyway, now that we've gotten that all out, uh, this particular part of the Parsha I will be going over Noach, Noach, okay? So Noach, Noach is interesting because, you know, that's in the first part of our Torah portion. It is literally uh, Bereshit 6.8, and it says, Ve'noach matzachen be'enei Adonai. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Adonai. So you'll see their word for favor is chet nun, which is chen, which is commonly translated to grace. And remember, where did grace come from? Well, if you read Yochanan, um, I do like Rebbe Griffin uh, taught us on Shabbat. He said, you know, you can quote scripture all day, but if you want to be like the sages, then you need to open it up. So Yochanan 114 uh, See, I was I was uh, partially right, but um, basically we're going to start in 114 and then we're going to end up at 117 because that's where I was going originally. So Baruch Hashem, I'm glad I, I uh, sourced it out, you know, source it out. That's what we need to do. Come on. Yochanan 114 says the word became a human being and lived with us and we saw his Shekinah. And the Shekinah of the Father's only Son, ready? Male, which is full of Chain Ve'emet. Okay, so some translations are probably like the Delich would probably say Chesed Ve'emet. But Chesed and Chain are like cousin words, okay? They all have to do with covenant, loyal, lo- loyal loving kindness, uh, that kind of thing. So, you see grace right there and then jump down to 17 for the Torah was given Natan, which is given through Moshe. OK, so I share some Moshe by the hand of Moshe, as you say, Vezot HaTorah, Asher some Moshe, come on, get you some, come on and get you some. OK, that's probably not how we do it, but that's close. Anyway, so the Torah, that's where it came from. Hashem gave us the Torah, but what? 
was the Torah. That's right. It's Hashem in the form of words, spirit, tablets, Bible, script. Uh, what else do we need to put? You know, fill in the blank. That's Hashem. The Torah is Hashem. And we know that the word of Hashem comes from Hashem, like his mouth, his thoughts, his heart, his mind. And Hashem doesn't have a mouth, a heart, or mind, but Mashiach Yeshua does because he is in fleshly form. And everything about him emanates from Hashem. So you can further see uh, Mishle, Proverbs chapter 7 and chapter 8, and you can see all that going on. Most likely, more, more so chapter 8. And get all the thing in the download about wisdom and all that. And then obviously Yochanan just simplified it for us when he said Yochanan 114, that the word became a human being. So, you know, and go further into the letter to the Philippians. Why don't we go there? Because this is important to establish everything. Um, let's see. I'm in chapter one. And uh, where is it at here? Hmm. Maybe it's chapter two. Let's go to chapter two. Yep, it's chapter two, starting in verse six. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, so far removed from all that, he emptied himself. In that he took the form of a slave by becoming a human being or becoming like human beings are. So I want to uh, highlight, circle, emphasize the word like, um, you know, that's what he became. He became like a human being. So, yes, he's in the form of a human, but, you know, he's way more than that, which is like Hashem in the Torah. Hashem is in the form of words, but he's way more than that, you know. And I was thinking back in my mind if I was going to do this or not, and I am. So I'm literally doing this on the pun intended fly, uh, even though I'm not driving this week. No driving and drawing this week because um, I do need my sources in front of me and I want to read them. But the Kehurt Humash went off on this whole like man about the Torah. And so um it should be well known, and if it's not, then um, Bezrat Hashem, it's about to be even more so, that um, the Torah that we have today is not the uh, quote-unquote fullness of what it actually is, because there should be no such thing as when a man dies in his tent. There shouldn't be anything about death, sickness, or disease, because originally we weren't supposed to have that. And if Hashem was teaching Torah to Adam, which he was, then, you know, there was no death in the world before the knowledge of the good and evil fruit tree was partaken of. So, um, by the way, uh, I have been on Team Hala for what the fruit was on the tree. So this is just an aside and Bezrat Hashem, I will get to do another one of these where I will go into a little bit more depth on it because this week's story portion uh, kind of moved me over to team Yain, which is wine. And so uh, there's this whole thing about, you know, the fruit being the knowledge of the good and evil being the fruit of the vine, 
which would allude to why Mashiach would say, uh, not until I come into my father's kingdom anew will I drink this wine, i.e. I'm going to wait till the Shabbat, which is what Adam and Haber were originally supposed to do. Wait till Shabbat, say Kiddush, and then partake of that tree. But they decided to go early, and it wasn't even Shabbat yet. And then you go with Noach, who... I guess I'm going into it now. Noah, he partook of the fruit of the vine in this week's Torah portion uh, with the help of Hasatan. Oh, uh, man. Like, it's just like, really? So he, that's what caused him to be drunk and laid himself bare like he lost his his clothing. And what does that sound like? You know, Adam and Hava, when they partook of the knowledge of good and evil, they lost their clothing. They felt naked and they hid themselves. So Noach was naked. He hid himself in his tent. But, oh, good old hum to the rescue or not comes in, discovers that and takes advantage of the scene. So uh, that obviously is an issue. So then you have the fact that when we say the bracha over the wine, the only time we say bore pari hagafen, like baruch adonai hagafen, we only say that bracha if it is fruit like grape juice or if it's wine. We don't say it for anything else. So it's just like you can give me um, any other fruit that grows on a vine and we do not say bore pari hagafen. So, you know, it's very, very cryptic, but, you know, that just kind of moves me to Team Yain. So, uh, yeah, so the fruit being the grape. Wow. So I don't know. Anyway, that's um, par for the course. Thought I'd never get to say that phrase, but I just threw it out there. All right. So anyways, uh, what I'm talking about here is from last week's Torah portion about this whole thing with the Torah being like beyond what we know right now, which is why we're going to be learning Torah in the Olam Haba. Read the Messiah text. talks about a uh, new Torah, and it says that the Torah rearranged itself when Adam and Hava partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's why we have the Torah that we have today. And then there's this idea of the Torah Messiah, the Torah Mashiach which I began to do a study on the Torah of Mashiach, and I have yet to record that. Goodness, I am behind, but Baruch Hashem. Because, you know, getting to learn so much and having all these insights is just, uh, it's, it's beautiful, it's humbling. So, I mean, it's just great to be able to have this opportunity. So, uh, as much as I can, I will try to get that out because check this out. The Torah of Messiah is all about following the will of Hashem with a nullified existence. As if you don't even exist and whatever Hashem says, you do. Like, take the Akedah, for example. Hashem said to Avraham, I need you to take your son, Yitzhak, and I need you to slaughter him on Mount Moriah. Okay, just wake up and do it. And Avraham was like, cool, I'm getting up early in the morning, I'm going to do it. Now, if Abraham was not following the Torah of Mashiach, he would be like, but Hashem, you told me that you were going to give me a son. Then you told me that you're going to make me a great nation. But if I kill my son, number one, I won't have a son. Number two, how can I how can I become a great nation? So on and so on and so on. But Abraham never talked about that. He never thought about that. It's not written 
in the Torah is not even commentated on. And furthermore, Hasatan himself comes and tempts the man on the way to the Akedah. So for three days, he's having to deal with, in his own mind, his son is dead. And now he's being tempted to not even go to the mountain because there's a river that Hasatan was allowed to make. And Avraham and his son and his two servants and the donkey, they had to wade through it. And Avraham was like, wait, there's no river here, you know? And so obviously the river goes away and he's just like, okay, great. And then there's this whole thing about what are you going to tell your wife? And I thought you told you you're going to take your son to Yeshiva and now you're going to go take him up here to kill him. How's he going to feel about this? You know, you're 137. He's 37 years old. He could take you down, you know, all this kind of stuff. Abraham is like, Hashem said. So then what's even more emphatic is that Hashem says, you know what, Abraham, stop. Thank you so much. I mean, wait, did I say Hashem? Because it totally says the angel of Hashem, which was speaking in first person as Hashem. Mashiach Yeshua did that all the time because he said my words are not my own, but the words of the one who sent me. So, yeah. So anyway, Memtet Hashem Mashiach Yeshua right here at the Akedah in Bereshit 22, Genesis 22, he says slaughter your son don't lay a hand on him and i see now that you fear hashem and abraham gladly took the ram that was uh caught in a thicket and sacrificed that instead of his son and so it was accredited to him as righteousness obviously uh, beyond many things but the fact is is that that was a new mitzvah for abraham to do and it was in the, uh, I have a wonderful book that uh, was encouraged by Rebbe Griffin, Rabbi Griffin, Rebbe Lapide, or Rebbe Get You Some. He was, uh, he had this book that he brought out at one time we were studying and, uh, you know, he didn't really say much, but I was just like, uh, may I ask what book you're reading? And he's oh, this is a little song, song. It's an old book. It's like from the early 1900s. You know, it's not, you know, it's just old. And I'm like, okay, but what is it? Let me see it, please. And it's called Some Aspects of Rabbinic Theology. And it says stuff in there like the rabbis approach the Torah like a child. So anything that they comment on, they basically approach it from the standpoint of being like a child. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But also in this book, they say that it's Abraham's joy of following the Torah Lishma, which is for the sake of he who commanded it or he who wrote it or he who spoke it, you know, and it's because of that, that Abraham was considered to feel, fulfill Torah Lishma for its own sake, because it didn't matter whether Hashem said slaughter your son or don't slaughter your son. Abraham had the same level of joy in keeping the mitzvah and he didn't run it through filters of how do I feel about this? Am I sure am I going to do this? Or man, if I do this, I'm going to get such great reward. It's just like, no, I'm so focused on what Hashem said do that I don't matter. And it, he matters. And so that's the Torah of Mashiach. And that's why, you know, you can read in the, the Brit Hadashah, the few times that it quotes the law of Messiah, literally just search that phrase or just know that that phrase means Torah Mashiach, um, that Shaul basically alludes to the fact of there's this thing called the Torah of Mashiach, 
which is not new. Basically, it's already known in Judaism. And that's the new Torah that we're going to learn in the Olam Haba, literally in the Yeshiva of Memtet and all that kind of stuff. So there is all of that. But as I was studying it, I was quickly led to the Tehillim. Uh, and I don't remember off the top of my head, but in the Midrash Tehillim, the big green book, Sefer Get You Some, basically, it was talking about uh, David, how he existed during the days of Adam, but he did not have a body. And this is why Adam so quickly and willingly saw that he needed to give 70 years of his life so that Adam or so that David could exist. And so this whole idea that David existed, but he didn't is just kind of like, whoa, you know, so that was one of the things that was on my little bread trail, pun intended, because, you know, Taurus bread. So on this bread trail, I'm looking and it's just like, oh, yeah. So Torah Messiah, nullify yourself. David always saw himself as he didn't exist. David is called uh, Nafli, which is fallen one or more technically miscarried one because of the whole Midrash about him. When Adam saw that David was destined to not live, he was going to die or he was going to be born as a stillbirth. And so Adam gave his uh, his 70 years to David. So David, his whole life basically lived as if he didn't even exist, you know. And so it was just kind of like, how does that work? Because obviously his flesh got the best of him sometimes. Yes. But remember, overall, Hashem says, this is a man after my own heart. And if you think about that, a man after my own heart, achare, my, after my, like achar is after or um, following behind, ladder, and then lev, levi, which is heart, my heart. So achare or achari or achar levi, basically just the Hebrew of that, after my own heart, you know, you get this picture of David being attached, connected, made one with the heart of God. And when that happens, our broken or our brokenness, our wicked and deceitful and desperately wicked heart is transplanted because the Torah is given to us to break our hearts so that we can be rebuilt like the sapphire tablets were into a renewed set of tablets, except this time. Instead of it being stone, like what we saw in Shemot, it's going to be by the spirit, by the spirit. And remember in Romanos chapter seven, it talks about the Torah being spiritual. And so that's the problem with us not following the Torah. So we got to be rebuilt. Our hearts got to be broken. Our flesh got to be broken down because when we walk by the spirit, we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And they're in contrary to one another to keep us from doing what we want to do. Because we need to be doing what he wants us to do. Hashem being the he in this case, not the flesh. Chasve Shalom, if we did what the flesh wanted us to do, because if we call the flesh Hashem, then whoo, that's bad. You know, the Yetzahara be, you know, be working us. But the thing is, the Yetzahara even is tasked to challenge us. You know, um, as crazy as this sounds, I was listening to uh, one of, I think it was uh, actually Rabbi New. Moishe knew uh, who was dropping this and then uh, just came across it last week uh, in the Hasidic Insights that the Yetzahara 
is likened to the king's uh, hire out, like a, a woman who's hired basically to seduce the king's son. And the hope is that the son does not succumb to the temptation or the seduction. And so it's just like, that's awkward. That's weird. I can't believe that's codified uh, commentary, but that's what it is, you know, and it's crazy because it's just like you're going to purposely your own son, King, you know, right? And it's just like, yeah. And that's why Hasatan, as the Nahash embodied him, was allowed to go into the garden and talk to Hava and talk to, well, he didn't really talk to Adam. He just talked to Hava and then just watched it all fall apart. But, you know, there's that. And then later on, Hasatan really talked to Adam or the second Adam, we should say, when Mashiach Yeshua was out in the wilderness for 40 days. But this time he, he came to the wrong person. He didn't come to Hava. He came to Adam and all is one. Because remember, Rebbe Griffin dropped this, that if you look at the first Adam, the first Adam was made male and female. That's why I said in his image, he created them when it was only talking about Adam. Targum also supports that. Targum Ankylos, OG Ankylos supports that. And so you get this idea. The first Adam was male and female. Obviously, the second Adam is male and female. So you see in Mashiach Yeshua that Adam and Hava were never separated, or I should say the renewed Adam and Hava were never separated. They were together. So the Nakash never had a chance to go and approach Hava on her own and say, hey, why don't you do this? And notice it was three temptations that Hasatan did to Mashiach Yeshua in the wilderness. You know, coming to the second Adam, turn these stones in the bread, cast yourself off this cliff, just bow down to me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. It's all about gratifying the desires of the flesh. And so you see how the king wants his son, he wants his children to be able to stand up to all sorts of temptations and, uh, you know, trials of all sorts, you know, be proven faithful through all these things. So there's that. So anyway, um, that was a really swerve tangent on the tour of Mashiach and how to nullify yourself and serve Hashem uh, and be connected to him and one with him. OK, so we got uh, over here in the wow and the Kehert Humash going crazy Parsha Bereshit. Uh, pretty much we're in chapter one in the Hasidic insights and it's talking about light. And so let's see here. It says uh, in verse three, commenting on the light was good. It says this goodness refers to the transcendent divine light, which is sovev kola kol almin sovev like surround. So saviv is to surround. So like when we do the Corbinote every day on the Tamid offering, it says that in Aharon's sons are to sprinkle the blood all around the altar. It uses Saviv, which is the same as Sovev, just changed about points, but it means to surround. So it says transcendent divine light, it surrounds. Okay. And then it says, as opposed to the eminent divine light, which is Memale Kol Amin, Al Amin. Okay, so sovev kol almin, which is to surround, memale kol almin, which is to fulfill, male, 
me male from within okay and male means to fill up that's why yeshua says i didn't come to abolish the torah i came to male the torah i came to fulfill it and that rabbinic euphemism it means to correctly and rightly interpret but male technically means to fill it up like if you took a glass of water okay if, or took a glass without the water in it and you poured water in it you would be doing a picture of me male kol amin, which means to fill it up, okay? And then if you overflowed it and that cup was sitting inside of a bowl or sitting inside of some sort of container and you kept overflowing it and then the cup eventually got submerged, that would be a picture of sovev kol amin, which is completely surrounded. So now you get this idea that this light, when it completely surrounds and fulfills it's inside of something which is why we need to understand that we don't exist apart from Hashem we exist within Hashem because at no point is Hashem you know not bigger than creation itself or the universe that's why he's called the master of the universe the king of the universe it's within him so that's a little deeper than I really wanted to go but tracking over here where i'm trying to get to it says this transcendent light has been set aside for the messianic future we can no longer see it see with it we can only infer its existence logically the imminent divine light however remains accessible to us with a certain amount of effort okay so the the light from within the memale because obviously mashiach right if we take his yoke upon us and learn from him you know, he gives us the opportunity because to the public, he speaks in parables. But to us, he gives us the secrets. OK, so he's given us that opportunity if we strive for it. That's why we have to lose our lives for his sake, be willing to carry our own crucifixion stake, you know, die daily, all that kind of good stuff that always pushes us um, to places we don't desire to be because it's uncomfortable and it removes us from mundanity. But anyway, it says we can sense divinity pulsing through creation and enlivening it. So then where is it we got here? Here we go. The tool God. This is later on uh, verse 26. Um, still in chapter one, Hasidic Insights. The tool God gives us to accomplish this feat, the conquering the world. OK. Because it says the purpose of creation is for us to conquer the world by bringing consciousness of God's infinity into finite reality. Okay, so yeah, that gets you some of that, right? So the tool that we do use for this is the Torah. Okay, this is why Torah is for today. If that is an uh, understatement uh, that needs to be said, then there you go. I said it. But anyway... I know we don't need to say that because we get it. Okay, so the Torah is both in the world and outside of it. In the world, but not of it. Okay, there, there's where that comes from. It is in the world in that it couches God's will in worldly context. How to conduct business, how to observe the Shabbat, and so on. But at the same time, Torah is outside the world. It enables us to transcend the limitations of the world and ascend the ladder of divine consciousness. The Torah is therefore the bridge between divinity and the world. 
since we assist God in this mission, even though our ability to do this stems from the Torah, we are credited for our efforts, i.e. we gain merit. Okay, zekut, merit. And then it says, in the words of the Talmud, we become partners with God, fulfilling creation. Shabbat 119b, Lakute Sikot, volume 14, page 41, footnote 39. Okay, Kehert Humash, chapter 1, verse 26, Hasidic Insight. That's what we just read. There's all your sources. Okay, so anyway, I just thought that was uh, absolutely insane when I got to read that last week. Uh, on Parsha Bereshit. So back to Noach. Noach. Side note, uh, how many Pasukim, how many verses are in Parsha Noach? 153. Ask me how I know. Well, number one, I actually selected and highlighted all the verses in my Bible app to copy it. And it literally said, oh, you want 153 verses to copy and paste? Sure. And then the Parsha Mnemonic by Rebbe our rabbi um, Aharon Raskin, he brings down that there's 153 and it's Kuf Noon Gimel. And uh, Gimel Noon is gone. So you have the Kuf with the gun, the hundred of the garden. And you remember the hundred is the Kedushah. The Kuf is all about the crowns of holiness and how you say on a hundred brachot a day and you attach that to the garden, which is the Torah portions and it says there are 53 Torah portions and so you think about all that you're saying your 100 brachas a day to nullify yourself which is Torah Mashiach and then you're learning the Torah and you put that all together and you have Parsha Noach and 153 is the number of fish that was pulled in and Yochanan 21 10 and 11 Shimeon Kepha went up drew the net to land full of great fish 153 and even though there were so many the net was not torn okay so you have the idea of the kingdom is like a net and so it's cast out bringing in the fish the fish are the converts from the sea which is the nations the waters of the the waters or the sea is called the nations so you have this idea of throw the kingdom into the nations and pull out those divine sparks those uh proselytes basically and so that's your 153 that's your noach and that's what parsha noach was all about bringing in some converts because noach for 120 years was building this thing this is bigger than life literally bigger than life it's a big old boat and for 120 years everybody's like hey Noah, what you doing and he's like oh you know uh, Hashem's about to destroy the world, so I'm making this boat, and so I can be on it, and I guess other people can be on it if they want to, and uh, yeah, and they're like, Noah, you're smoking crack, uh, we're gonna keep going with our day, I don't know what's wrong with you, it's been 115 years, and you're still building this boat, and you're still saying the same thing, you sound like a broken record, I feel like you need psychological help, but, you know, the rest of creation is going crazy. So why not you be crazy as well? I mean, yeah, I mean, to my to my own standard, I can judge you. So I don't need righteous judgment. I can just say, look, you're you're crazy. You're an idiot. Like, you know, these are just passerbys. I'm just imagining what they would say. I mean, you just have to think what's going on in the world during the days of Noah. I mean, people are getting married to animals and starting families and stuff like that. And there's Nephilim in the world. Like, 
angels that came down thinking that they can live human human life better than humans because they know so much. And then they ended up falling to the temptations of, you know, humanity and then having children with humanity, which led to giants and all sorts of stuff like that. And then, yeah, I mean, it spins out of hand really quickly. So how are you going to look at Noah and be like, yeah, the one person who's listening to Hashem who said that, you know, I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to bring a flood. Like, first of all, it hasn't rained like really hard for there to be a flood. Second of all, this place is so beautiful and we all live forever anyway. And if it was a flood, we know how to swim. It's all great. Noah's like, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just telling you, you ask me, like, what do you think this is? And there you go. So that's the Amet Shomerman elucidation midrash of Noah's 120 years. And so my summarization of that is I would like to say the message of hell, fire and brimstone or turn or burn or, you know, get hope or cease to float. Uh, any of those little shenanigans, they don't work. You know, uh, so many times that we can be thinking, man, like, how are we going to get people saved? Or, I mean, we probably don't think that because obviously we know how people get saved is by the Ruach Kodesh, but it takes us living it out, you know, kind of thing. And then people ask questions. So, Brukashem. But anyway, um, <clears throat> if you're trying to, you know, quote unquote, preach the gospel, you don't do it by uh, telling people that they're going to be in doom. You do it by showing them the love of God, because just think about it. If someone truly comes to faith in God and converts. Yeah. Notice I said come to faith in God and convert because, you know, that's what coming to faith in God means. You lose your life. You get immersed in the death of Mashiach and resurrected into his resurrected life when you come up out of the mikvah. And then you say the bracha, you know, and then that kind of seals the deal because, you know, once you enter into the mikvah, then, you know, you've been born again. So there's that. Anyway, Judaism teaches all that. So when a person does that out of the fact that they don't want to be doomed, what kind of life do you really think they're going to live? They're living because they're fearful of what's going to happen to them. They're not doing it because they love Hashem. Bezrat Hashem, they grow to love Hashem, but... If that's your prerequisite, like, oh, hey, welcome to Shul. How'd you get here? Oh, uh, you know, I was minding my own business and so-and-so over here told me that, you know, I'm pretty much going to be destroyed when the world ends because I don't believe in God and I'm not like born again and stuff. So I decided I wanted to, to exist, even though the world is apparently not going to exist and I don't want to die. So... I mean, I'm going to obviously die, but I don't want to die like not have any uh, existence, you know, or go to Gehenna or some kind of other place besides where all you people are going to be like the Jews and stuff. So, yeah, I want to I want to like have eternal life kind of thing. It's like, oh, interesting introduction. Well, you know, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome. Uh, the men section is on this side, you know, da 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 da. So that'd be kind of a weird thing. But anyway, um, <clears throat> this 153 really uh, has a whole lot of meaning to it. And if I can just share one more point, I will say do 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 Bereshit 48, 14 through 16 talks about Ephraim and Menashe growing into a great multitude. And it's all about the fish, which the word dog is in that word. And 
Then you have the idea of Romans 11, 25 through 26, the fullness of the Gentiles coming in because the Yehudim have not embraced Mashiach. And so we're waiting on everybody to get on the same page. Bezrat Hashem soon in our days. And then um, don't, don't. I guess that's all I'm going to share about the 153. Uh, I thought there was something else that they were going to drop on that. So, uh, again, this is Benny B doing his thing on that. Yeah. Oh, and he just thought, well, since I'm here, I might as well just say, because I said this before, that the Torah is a shem. So, um, it says, the Holy One and the Torah are one. So, Hashem and the Torah are one. Like Yeshua says in Yochanan 10.13, or 10.30, Slika, about Him and the Father being one. And uh, here, Benny B quotes that this is Zohar Shemot 60A in the Sonsino Press Edition. So there's that. Anyway, back to Noach, Noach. Good night. Um, nope, that's Bereshit and Noach. Here we go. So everybody knows the, well, I don't know if I keep saying everybody. I'm like, quit painting with a broad brush. Okay, put the brush down. Okay. So there is this classic debate. Noach was a righteous person. Well, he was righteous in his generation, which I'd like to quote. Um, I actually have this highlighted uh, Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter two, verse 15. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God without defect in the midst of a twisted and perverted generation among whom you shall shine like stars in the sky. I want to drop that source for Noah's righteousness that is the same righteousness that we have in this generation, you know, where it's getting pretty close to the days of Noah. And the only way we stand out and shine brightly and the only righteousness that we have is Mashiach's. And when we walk in the ways of Torah, you know, attaching ourselves to Hashem. That's where our righteousness comes from. So obviously Noah would have a little bit, just a little bit of that going on. And not to mention that, you know, Bereshit 6, 8 says he found Chain, he found Mashiach basically in the eyes of Hashem. So there's that. And then the other opinion is that had he lived in Abraham's generation, he would not have been considered a righteous person. So obviously there's a lot of back and forth on that, but uh, needless to say, the Noach is also the word for grace. So there's a lot of that going on to just kind of take into consideration. So that was a flash grenade. Didn't mean to throw that one, but um, just because there's so much commentary on was he righteous? Was he not? What's the deal? And I would just like to say, yes, it is both because, you know, when it comes to righteousness, Whose righteousness is it? Because remember, our righteousness is his filthy rags. And so if we really distill it down to saying Noah's righteousness, then, of course, his righteousness is got not going to be the righteousness of Abraham. Because Abraham, again, followed the Torah of Mashiach. And so he nullified himself to the point that his righteousness was accredited to him. His righteousness was merited. You know, Noah found righteousness i.e. he had to strive and do what he did just abraham strove yes but noach being surrounded by 
all of the perverse wickedness, you know, it's, it was a little awkward for him. And same thing with Abraham. But Abraham was like, whatever. Noah was like, whatever. I'm building this boat. People think I'm crazy. Um, and then there's this difference that's brought down in commentary that the difference is Abraham prayed for his generation. Noah did it. So Noah was like, I'm building a boat. Get on or not. And Abraham's like, here's a boat. You want to know about the boat? I uh, hope you get on the boat. I'm going to be praying for you. He didn't tell people he was praying for them. He just did it. So that's there's a big difference, too. And so that's another thing for us as an encouragement that we should be praying for people, even though we feel like they're so far off and far away. Because what do we know? What do we know? Do we think people really are far away? Do How much how much is going on in the life of another person that we really know about? If we just pray for them and be like thinking back to what it was like for us, how far away from Hashem were we? So there's that. So anyway, uh, let me keep going here. I got to speed it up now. OK, so Benny B goes on to say, if you look at Noach, Noach is noon chet. It equals 58 and chet noon, which is spelling Noach backwards, is grace. And grace is also gematria 58, obviously, because the same letters. So then he goes on to say, this is going to be really heavy. You ready? This is from Shanelu Kodabrit. Okay, page 52. It says, the Torah reminds us that Noach, whose name is half of Hanok, which is Enoch, is referred to by the words Zayanachamenu or Yinchamenu. This one will comfort us. Bereshit 529. Okay. So Noach, this one will comfort us. The one called Grace will comfort us. Okay. Oh, why don't I go ahead and drop uh, in the middle of my interruption here, interrupting myself. Zechariah 4, 4, 7 says, Who are you, great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become plain, and he shall bring forth the top stone. The, uh, let's see, what does he use? Et Ha'evin Harosha. Okay. The Aleph Tav. Evan, the foundation stone, basically, Harosha, the chief cornerstone, the Aleph Tav, the chief cornerstone. This great mountain is going to do that. The great mountain, by the way, is called Mashiach. Midrash Tankuma pulls that down and told out 14. Wow, this is an interruption inside of an interruption. But anyway, that stone, Eta Evan Harosha, with shouts of Chain Chain or Noach Noach, if you spell that backwards. So shouts of Noach, Noach, this one shall bring us. Anyway, so back to Shanae Lukota Breed, it says his name also amounts to half the name of the angel, Mem Tet. Since the first three letters and the name equal, because it's Mem Tet Tet, 49 plus 9, okay, because Mem is 40, Tet Tet, so you basically have 9 plus 9 which is 9 plus 9 is 18, and you add that to the mem, which is 40, so 18 plus 40 is 58. That's the first three letters of the name of Memtet, okay, if you're spelling it out in Hebrew. And then it says, since the first three letters in that name equal 58, i.e., the same as the numerical value of Noach, the remaining letters in the name of that angel spell Nur, which is a burning light to signify that Hanok had been turned 
into a flame of fire and became that angel. What had remained of Hanok after the Chain, okay, after the Ket Nun, which is 58, had been removed. So if you take Hanok, you take the first two letters, which is Chain, the grace. If you take that part out of, of Enoch, then you're left with the Vav and the Kaf Sofit, which is the numerical value of 26. Then it says a number equaling the numerical value of Hashem's divine name, the Tetragrammaton Hashem, the Yod and He, Vav and He. So you have the grace of Hashem, and that is the angel Memtet. And so they're saying, if you look at Hanok, part of Hanok, his name is the same name as Noach, but then Hanok himself was transformed into fire. He was turned into fire. And then as he was turned into fire, he became the angel Memtet. That's obviously very crazy because you're thinking, how are you going to make this guy become Memtet? Because Yeshua is Memtet. Well, Yeshua and Memtet, those are really, really big subjects and big topics to understand. But let's go ahead and, and look at it like this. When did Mashiach Yeshua exist? And when did the angel Memtet exist? Way before creation. And then you got Hanok, Enoch, who comes into creation. He, he's born and then he's brought into being this angel. So get the picture of like, if he's going to be turned into fire and added to fire, you know, you take a candle who's already on fire and then you put that fire into another fire. You still have one fire. It's not like one plus one equals two. One plus one equals one. And so he's consumed into basically Memtet. And so you have this idea that Hanok is a composite of the burning fire and Noach. And then he's brought into being Memtet. So that's always a heavy subject to try to parse out. But if you just look at the word, um, so Hanok, again, looking at the word Chain and um, doo -doo -doo -doo, we got Chain and then we got uh, Nur. So again, that comes from the word Hanok. So you took the Chet, you take that aside for a second, and then you have the Nun, the Vav, and the Kaf. So looking for where the Nur came from. Oh, we're back to Mimt. Okay, so backing up. So Noach... His name is half of Memtet. So the other half of Memtet is the Nur. And then the Nur, which is Nun, Vav, Resh, that's the burning fire. So it says the remaining letters in that name of Memtet, Nur, signify Hanok, have been turned into a flame of fire. Okay. So they're looking at Noach and they're looking at Memtet. And then they're saying, Noach takes the first three letters of Memtet, and then there's the last three letters of last three letters of Memtet, which is a burning fire, and it's just like Noach has the first two letters of Hanok, and then the last two letters of Hanok equal the name of Hashem. So 
between Noach, Enoch, Memtet, and Hashem, there's this idea of a consuming fire and a unification going on. And so that's absolutely crazy. <laughs> but just want to look at the word Nur real quick, because ultimately that's what I wanted to pick up on. Because if you look at Memtet and the word uh, Noach and Nur, so Noach and Nur, so the comforter and the fire that equals uh, Enoch, which equals Memtet. That's how we're connecting it. Okay, so Nur is Strong's number 5135, and it says it's a fire, and it means fiery, and it means to shine, corresponding to that of Nir, Nur, okay? Uh, Nur itself, the case precedent is in Daniel 3, 6. Thought I was talking about Noach, Noach, but there is way more. Daniel 3, 6 says, whoever does not fall down and worship immediately will be thrown into a blazing fire. Now, obviously, this is Mishael, Hananiah, Nazariah. People normally know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But um, we don't do that because that's their Babylonian names. So let's get their Hebrew names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And by the way, shouts out to Azariah, who is Ishnatav, the uh, Jewish Aquaman. Get you some. Shouts out to him. Uh, but anyway, um, Azariah and, the, and his homeboy homeboys, they're thrown into this fiery fire. Now, check it out. When they're thrown into the fire, they're not burned up. They're walking around. And then it says that there's another person in there. Okay. Where does it say that at? Well, let's go down to uh, let's expand this out. Still in chapter three. Um, so then it says, do, do, do. okay, verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. His facial expression was altered towards Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was originally heated. You know, it's interesting that the sun will be seven times brighter in the Alam Haba. So that's interesting. Seven times hotter here for the fire. And then it says um, it was heated up. He, he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in order to cast them into the furnace. So he did that, cast them up, and 24 says, he said to his official, was it not three that was cast into the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. 25, he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the garden, or Slika, in the midst of the fire. Now, this fiery fire is the word Nur, last six letters of Memtet, which correspond to Hanok, which correspond to Noach, which correspond to Hashem. Okay, so you got Noach, Enoch, Memtet, and Hashem. You got four there, all-consuming fire. And then your overlay here with Daniel chapter 3, the four is actually one. You know, it's all this picture here that there are these entities that are involved, but there is one big picture here. And so... That's what the Shanae Lakot Habrit is basically alluding to, this consuming fire, this angel Memtet, 
and this whole idea of being one with Hashem. So, I mean, we get back ultimately to being one, unified. So on from there, um, I understand that that leaves a lot of loose ends because, again, we've always known Yeshua's Memtet for the past couple of years at, here at Lapid, but now we're like Enoch is Memtet. Like, wait, what? Well, um, you know, Messiah Text also has that in there, but I decided that I'd go ahead and just kind of roll that out for you. But don't let that trip you up because remember, Mashiach is one body with many members. Let me go ahead and give you that source. And Bezrat Hashem, until we get further into that topic, which we probably will need to since I opened up this whole can of get you some, um, we'll do that. All right. So we got uh, the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, the first series. So first Corinthians, chapter 12. And it says, for just as the body is one. OK, 12, 12. I hope I said 12, 12 letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, then chapter 12, verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body through many as one body. So it is with Mashiach. So there's one body. OK, there's one Memtet and he has many members. Oh, you mean like Enoch and and Noach and all that like Hashem. And then it says, and all the members of the body through though many are one. So it is with Mashiach. Yeah, because, you know, we're in Mashiach, too. So where do we fit in? Because we're called by the name of Hashem as Hashem's children. So there's that. And then the angel Memtet has the name of Hashem in him because that's what's in Parshat Mishpatim. Says my name is in him. So then there's that. And while we're on this Memtet topic, if you go to Benny B on Memtet, because uh, he was in Parshat Mishpatim and he decided to do some commentary on it, go figure. Again, Shanae Lukota Breit. Noach, when he was on the ark, was in charge of taking care of the feeding, the food supply. He gathered up all the food. First of all, Hashem said, gather in all that that you're going to need for your family and for the animals. Get that food together. Shanae Lukota Breit. Where are we at this time? Pages 756 and 757. We have explained on several occasions that Sar Ha'olam, which is the angel to whom God entrusted the proper allocation of the food supply in the world is called Memtet or Na'ar. Moshe's function. Oh, now we got Moshe being Memtet. Good night. So Noach is Memtet. Enoch is Memtet. Moshe is Memtet. Yeshua HaMashiach is Memtet. Anybody else? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yitzhak and Yosef and David. Okay. It's quickly filling up here. Because guess what? It says Memtet is also called Na'ar. Who's called a Na'ar? Moshe, Yosef, David, Yeshua HaMashiach, Noach, and uh, apparently Enoch at some point, I guess. I don't, I don't guess, but he fits the description somehow. <laughs> and it wouldn't surprise me if there's somewhere codified that Enoch is a Na'ar. 
However, to Enoch's defense, if you read the, the book of Enoch, it talks about uh, or basically when Enoch is speaking, he speaks with some of the same terminology that Yeshua or Yeshua. Wow. Yeshua. Really? That Mashiach Yeshua would speak in, you know, as far as like repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, we know the people who said that, obviously, but that's one of the things that I saw. And it just sounds very gospel-y, if I could use that term, for lack of better words. Anyway, so uh, that's Enoch. So back to Shanae Lukota Breed over here on Memtet, the food allocator says Moshe's function too was to provide for the needs of his people. He is already referred to as Na'ar when the daughter of Paro found him, although normally he should only have been referred to as a Yelid from Shemot 20 or Shemot 2 verse 6. And it says our commentators have said that Moshe's voice was like that of a Na'ar. The very name of Moshe is an acronym for Memtet Sar Hapanim, Memtet the Prince of the Face. Shemot 24 1, uh, Ve'el Moshe uh, Amar Ele El. Our sages comment that Moshe's name was Memtet, just like the name of his teacher, because Memtet has the name of his teacher. So Moshe's teacher is Memtet, which means Moshe's teacher is Yeshua. And that's why, you know, Moshe says, There's one who's coming after me. And then you get this picture of Moshe's teacher being Yeshua when him and Yeshua, like Yeshua ben Nun and Parsha um, Hazinu and Vazot Baraka, they actually trade places. And Yeshua, Yehoshua, Yeshua, by the way, same word, same name. I mean, uh, Yeshua is the short form of Yehoshua. So Yeshua ben Nun, actually, when he's anointed to be the leader of the people, he begins to teach and Moshe becomes a student to Yeshua. So, I mean, you have that picture shown there. But anyway, it says the description of Moshe as an R then is an allusion to his function being similar to that of Memtet. And so I just wanted to throw out there that Noach, while he was on the ark, was functioning as Memtet, making sure that everybody, everybody had their food. Just like Memtet does. He makes sure everybody has their food. So there's all that. Uh, and then I'm going to go ahead and jump down to G. Shekel. Okay, my homeboy, homeboy G. Shekel. Now, G. Shekel, I had to um, basically kind of sift through his commentary on this week. So I don't know what's really going on, but there's a lot of divine name dropping and it's just like, whoa, I don't know what's going on, bro. Why you got to do that to me? I've been really, really just loving um, your post on the tour portions. But anyway, we'll continue to press forward. So one of the things he goes into is again, Noach, Noach, Noach found grace in the eyes of Hashem. So if you look at what he drops here, he says, on Noah's generation, human existence was preserved only because of him. As the verse states, I am going to put an end to all people. Bereshit 6, verse 13. Oh, 613, look at that. And also, Noah was a righteous man, perfect among the people. Bereshit 6, 9. And then, Noah found grace in the eyes of Hashem. Bereshit 6, 8. So he found something in the Zohar here. It says, 
Rabbi Akiah opened the discussion, Noach was a righteous man, and your people also shall be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. They shall be the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Yeshiyahu 60, verse 21. He says, A was raised, a question was raised after the statement, these are the generations of Noachs, that the text should have continued Shem, Ham, Yafet. But it doesn't. <laughs> it should not have ended with Noach was a righteous man. These are the generations of these are the generations of Noach. Noach was a righteous man. That's where we get Noach Noach from. These are the generations of Noach. That's one. Noach was that's the two. Okay, Noach Noach. That's where that comes from. It says he further stated, "Happy are Israel who occupy themselves with the Torah and are familiar with its paths, through which they will merit the Olam Haba." Noach means rest. When Noach was born, he was named after the word comfort, which is Nechama, which is actually Noach and then mem which the word mem is Ma, which also corresponds to Chokmah. And you got this idea of wisdom and comfort being Nachma, which is comfort. So wisdom and Noach or Ma, Noach, what is Noach? What is his wisdom? What is his comfort? Says, so the name would determine his destiny. Barakote 7b is a cross-reference to that. And then it says, Noach is the symmetry of Cain, basically in the reverse. So put Noach in a mirror and you see grace. And when, where is the mirror that we look into? That's the Torah. So when Noach looks into the Torah, when he looks into the face of Mashiach, he sees grace. Because he's the comforter. He's the one who is righteous in his generation. He's walking by the ways of Hashem. So there's all that. And then it says, In the pupil of the eye, the image one sees appears inverted. Then the brain puts it right. Cross-reference David Kimchi and Sefer Hashorashim. This is how in God's eyes, Noah becomes grace. That's crazy. I was thinking about that today as I was walking around through the building. It was just like, really, everything is upside down. But through the way that my eyes have been created, it all gets flipped within this lens system in the eye that what is actually right side up is actually really upside down if if I didn't have any eyes. And so it's just kind of like, wow. OK, anyway, that's crazy. That's a little biology for y'all. Get you some. And then it says, um, all right, the Zohar explains the verse, Noach, Noach, meaning that every righteous person has two Ruachs, one on the earth below and one in Hashemayim. The word Noach is repeated twice in the same verse, alluding to the upper grace and then the lower grace. Noach reflected God above, which is the mystery found in the words Noach walked with Elohim. Elohim is the divine eminence, which is the Shekinah. So he became the foundation of the world quite literally. As Shlomo wrote, Mishle 10.25, the righteous are the foundation of the world. The righteous one is the pillar for which the world stands. If there were not righteous persons on the earth reflecting God, the world would not stand. So now they're talking about the idea that Noah walking before Shem he brought down to earth what was actually above. And so it's just like this mirror image thing. So from heaven to earth, on earth as it is in Hashemayim. 
That's what Mashiach says, you know, Hashem, may your kingdom be established on the earth as it is in Hashemayim. So, uh, there's all that. And then I wanted to get into this last little point about 600. Because that was Noah's age when he entered the ark. Bereshit 6 or 7, verses 6 through 7. We read that Noah was 600 years old when he entered the ark. So now, this is again G. Shekel dropping bombs on this. He says, notice that Shlomo hints us with two, with, or notice that Shlomo hints us the two words, Noach and 600 in the verse. So you can see in Shlomo's hint of that, Noach is 600, and Mishle 3130 which is the phrase, charm is deceitful, which in Hebrew is sheker hachin, hachin, sheker hachin. That equals Noach and 600. There's a hint there. So there's a lot of remez illusion, okay, basically. Now, this is actually a snippet from the Eshet Chayil, which is interesting. So this is like a, a woman of valor, you know, and it's just like, oh yeah, let's talk about Noach in the middle of that with charm being deceitful. This is how Noach and 600, you can find that being alluded to, not that it equals. It's not a gematria thing. Not yet anyway. Charm is deceitful. The numerical value of deceitful, which is Sheker, Sheen, Kuf, Resh, that equals 600. Because you got Sheen, 300. You got Kuf, 100. That's 400. Then you add the Resh. That's 200. 400 plus 200, 600. Get you some. And then it says, and Chain is Noach because Chain spelled backwards or reflected is Noach. So Sheker Hachain. Okay, Sheker false is Noach. Then it says, so under this light, we see that grace is deceitful, hence to us the 600 of Noach. The Midrash says, that Noach built the altar so that his generation will have 120 years to repent. We talked about this earlier. So during the 120 years in which Noach was building the ark, the people of his generation didn't believe him. They thought Noach was deceitful. Noach was a liar. Noach was Sheker, basically, during this whole time frame. This secret is found in Sheker Hakeen. Noach is a liar. Noach was Sheker deceitful which equals 600 so it says when the flood waters came on earth noach was 600 so it says charm can lie i.e grace is deceitful which is sheker and beauty is vain hevel okay michelet 3130 during the generation of noach the sons of god saw that the daughters of men were fair bear sheet 62 People were occupied in achieving the beauty of this world for themselves, unaware that it was going to disappear because they didn't believe it. They thought Noah was Sheker, but I want the beauty. And Hashem is like, yeah, well, if you're going to call Noah Sheker, then you better know that your beauty is Hevel. And they're like, Hevel, whatever. Come on, man. It's beautiful. And Hashem's like, okay, Hevel Hayofi. Beauty is vain. This world that you know that you want for yourself is going to disappear. Now, applying mystical aspect to this portion, our sages interpret here the Torah which man learns in this world will be vanity, hevel, before the Torah of Mashiach. See Kohelet Rabbah 11 8. 
Now, that probably opened up a bunch of can of worms or a bunch of can of get you some. But again, the Torah of this world, if you compare it to what we're going to learn in the Alam Habat, it's going to be as if it disappeared because it's just like we're going to be learning the Torah before it rearranged itself. We're going to be learning the Torah apart from sin and impurity and um, all sorts of destructions and things like that. We're going to be learning Mashiach's Torah, the Torah that you learn when you nullify yourself. The hidden wisdom, which, by the way, um, is Chokmah Nistar, which is the acronym for Chet Nun or Chain, which is grace. Hidden wisdom. Remember, because Mashiach teaches us Torah on a whole new level. So if you think about the written Torah and the different commentaries that we have now, think about that compared to what we're going to learn in the future when we're standing or sitting in the yeshiva with Memtet dropping it down, dropping bombs, you know, okay, yeah, compared to that, yeah, this is Hevel, this is fleeting, it's beautiful right now, it's great, but guess what, it's gonna get transformed and turned up, which is what happened to the world, actually, during Noah's days, that it got transformed and turned up, but it was overturned by the waters of the flood, and that flood actually purified and cleansed the earth, that flood is called a great mikvah. And then you read in Kepha's writings about how there will be another flood, but it won't be the same flood because remember Hashem said he's not going to flood the world again. But Kepha says that the flood that is to come is going to be one of fire. And then you think about Shaul and his writings to the Corinthians, how he talks about that everything will be tested by the fire. And that fire, according to Lightfoot, can elude to Aish Dot, which is the Torah. The Torah is called fiery knowledge. So Hashem is going to flood the world with Torah and whatever gets flooded with that fire and stands, then that's what's proven, you know, as great works, you know. So, yeah, that's an expanded scope of things. But if you think about what was left after the world was flooded, the first thing was an olive branch and then creation was renewed. Then the people were let out of the ark purified people i might add that uh, there's this whole thing that inside the ark the spirit of mashiach reigned so then you have the spirit of mashiach hovering over the waters again like bereshit so the spirit of mashiach being in the ark hovering over the flood waters you know and it's just like wow really that's what's going on and out from that scenario come man and all the living creatures and all that it all flowed out and, and repopulated, recultivated the world. Now, obviously, um, after generations, things got a little crazy. There was a little Tower of Babel action, a little idolatry action still going on today. And Mashiach says, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like in the days of Noah, and will he find faith on the earth? And I don't know about y'all, but I want him to find faith on the earth, and I plan on being one of those people that have the faith. And that means that I have to fight because every single day there's temptations to be taken out and to not fight. So uh, anyway, Noach, Noach, just wanted to do a quick little podcast on that. So Bezrat Hashem, this was more informative and more um, enlightening as instead of confusing because there was a lot of big things I know we covered. But, you know, may Hashem provide us with... Chokhmah, wisdom, Bina, understanding, Da'at, 
knowledge, funnel all of that through the spirit that he has placed within us in Mashiach Yeshua. And Father, I pray that you will teach us beautiful and wonderful things from your Torah that we gleaned tonight. Thank you for your blessing of Mashiach Yeshua being the one that we follow and the one who will counsel us. And thank you for giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, to know your voice. Amen in the merit of Mashiach Yeshua. So um, I pray that you all fight. Uh, we need people to just take the kingdom by force. And that's what we all got to do, you know, because every single day we have opportunities to not be faithful to Hashem. And uh, it takes work. It takes like losing yourself. It takes bearing your own instrument of destruction. Okay. If at any point you feel like you're trying to make your own path, your own destiny and all that apart from the words of Hashem, apart from the true path of Hashem, which he's given us in Torah, then it will be um, not good. Ultimately, you will be separated from him. And so we've seen a lot of that going on lately. But, you know, if you look around and see who hasn't fallen away, why have they not fallen away? Why are we still here thinking about myself, thinking about you who are listening to this podcast? Let's bring it home. Why are we still here? Why am I still here? Why am I still studying the Torah portion? Why am I still crying out to Hashem? Please renew my heart. Please cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb. Please fill me with your Ruach HaKodesh. Please turn me away from my sinful desires. I desire to make Teshuvah today. I, I pray for Mashiach Yeshua's return. Why are we still doing that? Bezrat Hashem is because we have a heart for God. That we're, we're people after God's own heart. And that we're connected to the vine, the true vine, Mashiach Yeshua. And in order to stay connected, we got to, got to fight. I don't know how many times I can say that. So uh, I declare war. This is the year of fighting. May every one of you be blessed. And, um, you know, Hashem has given us everything. There is nothing that we lack. So lean on your brothers and sisters and your mishpaka. And when things aren't so wonderful and amazing with your brothers and sisters and your mishpaka just continue to press forward and be like Hashem I love my brothers and my sisters and my mishpaka and I don't know what's going on right now this is not flesh and blood I know this is principality but I'm tearing them down and I'm gonna love I'm gonna keep doing Torah I'm gonna keep doing mitzvah I'm gonna keep calling on the name of Mashiach Yeshua and that's how you survive because you who cleave and attach yourselves to Hashem are alive today so what do we know what do we know Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Adonai, thank you, bless you for your word. May you cause a harvest of righteousness and abundance to grow forth from this. And may Mashiach Yeshua be returned to us speedily and soon in our days. Baruch Abba Adonai.